You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York, a community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. It's good to see you. Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. What's the joke? This is like the 16th most popular holiday or something. Like Halloween is celebrated more than... That's a shame. It's okay. It's okay. So we are going to move right along here. I'm going to read a short text. Karina is going to read. Doesn't she look lovely as always, Karina Schultz? Like... And then I'm going to read a portion of scripture that I'm sure most of us skip most of the time when we get to that in our Bible reading plan. So pray for my soul. So we'll start with the easy one. He said, therefore, to the crowds, John the Baptist is baptizing people and crowds are coming out to him. And John said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized uh, by him, you brood of vipers. He was so nice, filled with the fruit of the spirit. You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. A reading from the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 3, 10 to 22. And the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has one. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, and we, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. As the people were in expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming the strap of those sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor floor, and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. But Herod, the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form, like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. The word of the Lord. Don't start, John. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Janai, the son of Joseph, the son of Mattathias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Esli, the son of Nagi, the son of Math, the son of Mattathias, the son of Semyon, the son of Joseph, the son of Jodah, the son of Jonan, the son of Resha, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shalitiel, the son of Neri, the son of Melchi, the son of Adai, the son of Kasim, the son of Elmadam, the son of Ur, the son of Joshua, the son of Eliezer, the son of Joram, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Joam, the son of Elakim, the son of Meliah, the son of Mina, the son of Mattatiah, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Selah, the son of Nashon, 
the son of Amminadab, the son of Admin, the son of Arni, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Naor, the son of Serug, the son of Reu, the son of Peleg, the son of Eber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphaxad, the son of Sherem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Meheliel, the son of Canaan, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God in the name of Jesus. Praise his holy name. The son of Shadrach, Meshach, Radio Shack, Abednego, everybody else. Shake Shack, everything. They're there. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, Command these stones to become bread. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Everybody's favorite portion of scripture. The names. We love them. We love them. Let me say it is important for those of us who struggle to keep our social networks looking different than us. When you are doing your Bible reading and you get to numbers and you get to genealogies, one of the reasons why it is holy and good to not skip over that is because it's holy and good to say names of people who don't sound like any of the names in your family. When we skip over things and just say words that sound like words we already know, we end up like the people of the Tower of Babel building a world around us that looks exactly like us. So even in the Bible, when it comes to lists, when it comes to names, it's important to go through them and sound them out. I spent more work on that and probably butchered 90% of those names this week than I have on the rest of the sermon. So that's it. The dance team is the best thing that's going to happen for the rest of today. We're in the middle of a series called Let's Go Swimming. It's a four-week series on baptism which is why we're doing it on Sundays, because Sundays are the day that we remember our baptism. And when you read the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of Luke begins by Luke telling Theophilus that I'm going to write down for you an orderly account of the things that have happened in Nazareth with Jesus. And every Gospel writer is writing for a different reason. They're writing for a different pastoral reason, and every one of the four Gospels are the, are the last four books of the Bible written in terms of when they were written because the disciples of the apostles were saying, before you pass away, please leave us with something that will tell us why, who, what, and where was all of this about Jesus of Nazareth. And so the four Gospels are very pastoral in nature. And each of the gospel writers are writing to people in different situations. And Luke is writing to Theophilus, whose name means lover of God. And many think that Luke is writing to a church that he calls Theophilus because he knows that his church altogether is a lover of God. And so he's writing an orderly account. And so when we're reading the gospel of Luke, it's kind of like reading First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles in the sense that he's chronicling what happened in Nazareth in a specific way to say, here's what happened from beginning to end. And so I've said this over the last couple of weeks, and it bears repeating. Luke's gospel begins with, here's an orderly account of what happened. John's gospel begins with, in the beginning. And neither of those two gospels were chosen by the councils of the church to be the first book of the New Testament. Again, it would make administrative sense to start with Luke, an orderly account of what happened, and then move your way into the more mystical gospels like Matthew and John. It would have made theological sense to start with John in the beginning. The Bible starts with, so maybe the gospel should have started with, Because John is saying that this is the creator of the universe come to recreate what was torn apart. Amen? But they didn't do that. Mark would have made time management sense. The shortest gospel and almost every sentence starts with the word immediately. It's the -the on-the-go gospel. It's the fast food gospel. It's the gospel that you read when you're in the middle of transitions and you have to keep going. Immediately, immediately, immediately. Done. Gospel's over. 
But they didn't start with that one. They started with the gospel of Matthew. And Matthew's gospel starts with a family tree. Because the Bible, the New Testament, the work of Jesus is not an administrative work. It's not a rushed work. It's not even primarily a theological work. We do theology because Jesus was doing something else, and theology is how we explain what he was doing. It's the book about the restoration of the family. The end of the Old Testament says, I will send Elijah before you who will turn the hearts of fathers to their sons and the hearts of sons to the fathers. And the New Testament starts with a list of fathers who are begetting sons. However, in his orderly account, Luke gives us the only reverse genealogy in the Bible. The only time it starts with the present and works its way backwards, ending with the son of Adam, the son of God. And he puts this reverse family tree in between Jesus' baptism and Jesus tying Satan up in the wilderness. Does everybody remember Jesus saying, once you bind the strong man, you can then go and plunder his goods? The wilderness was Jesus binding Satan, and the cross was Jesus plundering his goods. So first Jesus ties Satan up in the wilderness, and then he defeats him on the cross. So Luke puts this family tree of fathers and sons... Happy Father's Day. See what I did there? He puts this family tree of fathers and sons in between Jesus getting baptized and Jesus beginning the work of defeating the devil. Why does he do that? And why is it a reverse genealogy? Jesus' baptism is not a prescription of how all baptisms are meant to be. Jesus' baptism is a revelation of everything that is happening in the natural and in the spiritual when we get baptized. Jesus' baptism shines light on his entire life from infancy. The reason Jesus wasn't baptized as an infant is because Jesus uniquely had to fulfill the Old Testament Levitical code of circumcision so that he could move us into a new covenant. And so Jesus is baptized at somewhere between 28 and 33 years old precisely to reveal what is always happening whenever anybody gets baptized. And baptism for Jesus is the summation of his entire life. The minute the father says, you are, the, you are my son in whom I am well pleased, it's hearkening back to, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means... God with us. And so even in Jesus' baptism, it's hearkening back to his incarnation when he was put here, baptized through water, through the womb, into the world. When Jesus is asked, where does your authority come from? Good question. Jesus doesn't answer the question. They say to him in the middle of all the Gospels, where does your authority come from? And Jesus' answer is, I will answer you when you answer me one question. John's baptism, was it from God or was it from man? Notice what Jesus does. Jesus makes a move that most of us miss most of the time. They say to Jesus, where is your authority? Where does your, where does your authority reside? Where's the epicenter of your power? Where's the epicenter of your might? Where's the epicenter of your strength? And Jesus says, I'll tell you in a second. I'm going to ask you a question first. Because if you don't know the answer to the question I'm going to ask you, you won't understand authority. And he says, John's baptism, was it of God or was it of man? The move Jesus just made, the chess piece that Jesus just slid across the table was, you think power resides in a throne, in a position of office, in tanks and guns and bombs and bullets. But I'm suggesting that baptism, that authority resides in baptism, in descending beneath the enemies and instead of wanting to destroy them, wanting to heal them, getting lower than the lowest person. 
Caesar, in other words, wants to sit up in his throne and call the shots, and when people don't listen, scare them. Pontius Pilate wants to do the same. King Herod wants to do the same. Unfortunately, Caiaphas wants to do the same because the religious systems have a funny way of getting in bed with politics and creating babies of force and manipulation. And Jesus turns all of it upside down and says, you can't understand authority until you understand baptism. And then the sinless son of God himself, the most powerful, the most mighty, the one who could call 10,000 legions of angels to come and save him, stands in water. And there's a man saying, if you're sinful, come and be baptized. And Jesus stands in the water with him and says, baptize me. And John is like, no, you're, re- you're ridiculous. And Jesus is like, I know. Why does Jesus get baptized? You've heard me say this, but repetition is the key to learning. It's not because I'm getting old. It's because I want you all to learn and also because I'm getting old. Jesus does not get baptized Because he's confessing sins. Jesus gets baptized. Remember the woman who touched the hem of his garment and she was made well? Jesus got baptized so that when his flesh touched the water, the water became healed so that when we're baptized, the grace of God can infuse our life in the sacrament of holy baptism and make us whole. That's why we pray at every baptism, Lord, bless these waters and make them the waters of the Jordan River. And we believe that he does because we serve a great and mighty God. Amen? Here, baptism is the revelation of good and evil. Jesus gets baptized and immediately an affirming fatherly voice breaks through the heavens, and it says it tore the heavens open. And we have to understand this. The voice of good tears the heavens open. You know why? Because the heavens and the earth are closed to things that affirm and are good. And the voice of goodness has to break apart creation so that goodness can come into it because we live in an ecosystem where evil can thrive and goodness is scarcely to be found. But when Jesus is baptized, goodness pierces through the veneer of evil and immediately a new voice, not an accusing voice, not a I can't believe you did this voice, not a look what you've become voice, but a voice that says before you've done anything, I am well pleased with you. And the earth hadn't heard anything like this before. And most of us don't hear things like this before. You're my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Well, what did I do? No, no, no. I didn't say you've done a good job and now I'm well pleased. I said you are my son. And because of that, I'm well pleased. There are men in this room who did not hear that from their fathers. I'm going to lean towards the men on Father's Day, ladies. So chill out. Don't cancel me. I'm not, you know, I'm just, let me talk to the men a little bit, okay? It's stuff you already know anyway, ladies. You got this. I'm just affirming what you, what you believe in your spirit anyhow. Be careful with your amens during this service. You say something like, you know, men need to learn how to stand up and be proactive. And then you hear a wife say, amen. And you're like, don't do that. Don't do that. Keep the amens in the cone of silence. The voice of goodness comes piercing out of heaven and affirms Jesus. And then immediately Jesus is sent into the wilderness and Satan shows up. And his voice is the exact opposite of God's voice. God's voice is, you are my beloved son. And Satan's voice is, if you are the son of God. Evil is always the opposite voice. The voice that tries to make the good voice nothing. And we have bought into the voice that says, if you are going to be good, then do something good, and then I'll call you good. 
We have bought into this voice from spiritual authority to parental authority to friendship authority to employer-employee authority. We live like people are only good once they do things that we deem good first. And people are crying out in all sorts of inner emotional trauma because people need to be affirmed not because they've done anything good or bad but because they're made in the image of a God who called them good, is calling them good, and will forever be calling them good whether or not you think they are. As a matter of fact, he calls us good in such a way that what's not good in us cannot survive under the beautiful, recreative, redemptive affirmation of the Father. He calls us good so much that what's not good says, I'm leaving, I can't stand hearing this, and then there's only good left. So why the reverse genealogy? Why does Adam... Why does Luke end with Adam, the son of God? It's actually kind of scandalous that Luke would do that. Because everybody who's reading this is reading it about 40 or 50 years after this already happened. So everybody knows that who's the son of God? Jesus. So why does Luke do what he does? It's a scandalous move. Luke ends his orderly account. He ends with Adam, the son of God. And every reader knows Adam's sonship didn't go very well. He was in a garden, got deceived, and turned the garden slowly over the pages of Scripture into a wilderness. And not just the natural garden, but the garden of relationship, the garden of worship, the garden of healthy interaction, the garden of mission, the garden of evangelizing, the garden of the fruit of the Spirit. All of it was turned into a wilderness because his sin begot sin, begot sin, begot sin all the way down to Bethlehem. So everybody reading it is like, Jesus just gets baptized in the Jordan, and the voice of God says, you're my beloved son. And then Luke says, and how great is this? This is so great. He's baptized. Heaven's torn open. And then Luke's like, remember Adam? And they're like, why would you do that? Why would you bring Adam up right now? Because Adam turned the garden into a wilderness. And the first place Jesus' baptized body went was into the wilderness as a good father to say, I'm coming to get my son. He was left here thousands of years ago by that slithery little serpent, and I'm going back to get him because I don't leave my children alone. Adam, I'm coming for you. And he goes to where Adam fell, and he stands before, not Goliath, but the true and better Goliath, Satan himself. He doesn't sling a stone at him, he becomes one. He doesn't take out a sword to cut Goliath's head off, his word is the sword. And he comes to get his children. His children Israel in the wilderness, and his children humanity in the wilderness. Luke gives us a list of a broken family. And before he shows us the broken family, we hear a father say to a son, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So Jesus is baptized, and then upon being baptized, the father breaks through all of sin, death, and evil, fights through all of sin, death, and evil, so that he can look at his son and say, I'm here, and I affirm you. Then, on the Mount of Transfiguration, years later, Peter won't shut his mouth. He's talking and talking and talking. And the Bible says this in Matthew 17, 5. He, Peter, was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, not you, but this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. 
When you read the Bible, look for this stuff. It's exciting when we get biblical revelation out of nowhere. In the Jordan, he says, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. But on the Mount of Transfiguration, he says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You are, this is, that matters. The Father affirms Jesus to Jesus in the Jordan River. You are my beloved son. But he affirms Jesus to Jesus loud enough for other people to hear him affirming his son. But then, on the Mount of Transfiguration, the Father affirms Jesus to us loud enough for Jesus to hear. Dads, I'm talking to you. Single moms, you have the spirit of a father, so everything I'm saying, if the Holy Spirit is in you, everything you've ever need, everything your kids have ever needed from a dad is in you if the Holy Spirit is on you. So you're not left out here. But fathers, I don't care how old your children are, but specifically if they're teenagers. Affirm them to them privately. Affirm them to them loud enough for their friends to hear you do it. And affirm your sons to your son's friends loud enough to hear your son hear that you did it. There, sometimes I get really spiritual and I quote, the NBC classic, The Office. And in it, Michael Scott, the best boss ever, says really, really mean things to Pam Beasley in front of a lot of people, and she storms off mad. As soon as she storms off, he looks at the rest of the people and says, honestly, she's one of the best workers ever. She's an amazing mother, and I wouldn't want to have anybody else work in the office. And Oscar goes, why wouldn't you say that when she was here? And he just walks away. And it leaves you with a knot in your stomach because we need to be affirmed, but we also need to be affirmed by hearing ourselves affirmed when somebody's talking about me to other people. And we don't affirm people based on behavior. We affirm behavior based on behavior. That was good, that was not. You graduated, that's good. You didn't. We got to work on this. Like, we, that's, but when it comes to affirming the person, you affirm your child, and I'm going to blow your mind with this, because they're your child. And that's the only reason you do it. And a lot of us have not had this in our life. Thanks. <laughs> so the baptized life, the baptized life is a life where it is your entire life, regardless of when you got baptized, and it's a life where you are affirmed by the Father and given the grace to affirm others. Because Luke, in the middle of Jesus' baptism and encounter with Satan, he lists the most broken, shattered family. He lists all of our families in that genealogy. And somehow, the family is healed through affirmation. Families can be healed and reconciled when the heads of families, mom and dad, begin to create a culture of affirmation. And you will hear all the attacks. 
I don't want to affirm them because I don't want them to get arrogant. If you don't affirm them, they're going to go find affirmation from people who they shouldn't be hearing it from, and that will make them arrogant and put them in a dangerous position. So affirm them in your house so they can hear proper affirmation. There's a difference between affirmation and uh, flattery, and parents have the ability to affirm in a holistic way, not just so that we could be affirmed as children, but so that we can see the difference between affirmation and flattery, which is really manipulation. Okay, I want Sophia to hear the way I tell her how good she is, so when other, some joker starts to tell her how good she is, she might know he wants something. He doesn't just love me, he wants something from me, and she'll see the difference. Come on, start doing it. Do you know she told me for the first time ever in her entire life that I had to stop holding her hand because her friends were around? Can I tell you how absolutely shattering that was for me as a human person? We were walking along. I picked her up from school. Daddy! And we're walking along. And then this, this kid runs by, and she's like, hi, Zach, and pulls her hands away. And I'm like, well, Zach is in trouble, and I'm going to talk to his parents for whatever he did. I don't even know what he did, but we don't like Zach too much. And I said, what happened? This is me. And she said, you know, my friends are cool, and you're not. I was very happy to hang out with Stuart Walker that Friday night who raised four girls. Stuart Walker's my hero on so many levels, and he's my commentary on parenting. John, this chair is very comfortable, by the way. Where was I? Oh, yeah, my broken heart. That's right. That's where I was. So I said to her, and I, all, I confess when I say not nice things to her, and I'll confess a good one here. I said to her, okay, you don't have to hold my hand, but just know my hand will always be here for you to hold. In a moment, and it's a silly moment, but I wasn't ready for it. It didn't feel silly to me at the time. But in a moment where you realize something is changing in a child, that's where it's not just the affirmation of you're wonderful, I'm well pleased with you. It's also the affirmation of not just doing, but saying that your presence will always be there. Not just being there, but saying, we all know that God will always be there, but it felt really good when we heard the Bible say, I will never leave you or forsake you. It's nice to hear it, amen? We know he loves us, but it's nice to hear him describe how and why, especially at certain times in our life when we feel left by everybody else. And then that text comes in where somebody says, hey, I was just thinking about you, and I just wanted you to know God is saying he'll never leave you or forsake you and you feel held by words, that's affirmation. Affirmation can heal families. Well, pastor, my kids are grown. <laughs> my dad called me before, my dad called me, no, I, I called him. I called him, I was gonna say he called me on a Sunday, but I actually called him. And we're chatting and we're talking, we're talking about golf talking about all these things, and he says to me, and I didn't really respond because by 9.50, I have every emotion you could possibly imagine happening in my body all at the same time, and I quickly had to get off the phone, but he said, happy Father's Day, and I just want you to know you're an amazing father. And here's the thing. A lot of you could say that, but when your dad says it, it hits different. It hits different. My mom is always like, that was the best sermon I ever heard, which technically disses every other sermon I've preached before that. I love hearing her say it. But when Pastor Mark texts and says, hey, that was a really good sermon you preached, it hits different, right? When somebody says, hey, you could dance, that's nice. When Des says it, 
It hits different. And now that men are dancing, I promise that in the next dance, I, I will not be dancing in it at all. Because I know my limits. And I need to exemplify in my priestly self what it means to know your limits, to walk sober before the Lord. <laughs> Affirmation can heal families. Now, here's the thing. I, I, I feel like some of you are hearing this. Affirmation can change the behavior of your children. That's the slippery slope. I'm not saying that. You ready? Affirmation can heal a family without the behavior changing first. Because behavior can only change in the safety of a home that is being reconciled. God doesn't say, change your behavior, and then you can come here. God says, come here in all the ways. And my love for you over the years, Sunday after Sunday, will begin to wash over you in a way where you will just be becoming a different person. Every time you leave, a little newer, a little more holy, a little more sanctified. It's when, you're, it's when the home is healthy that behave. So if, our, if we think, well, okay, so he's saying that if I begin to affirm my kids, then they'll stop doing these annoying things that they're doing. No. They will do those things harder if that's what you're trying to do. Affirmation makes life safe. Affirmation makes life safe. What does it make life safe for? Affirmation makes life safe for healing. I'm going to say three things here. Affirmation makes life safe for healing. Affirmation makes life safe for saying, what shall I then do? Karina read it. They were getting baptized, and upon getting baptized, they came up out of the water and they said, what shall I do? The soldiers said, what shall I do? And he said, stop intimidating people with your authority. The tax collectors said, what shall we do? And he said, stop taking more than you should, and everybody said, amen. I hope they were listening, even now. The people were saying, what should we do? He's saying, if you have two pieces of clothing, give one of them to somebody who has none. But you see what happened was, when they came up out of the water, they were affirmed. And when you're affirmed, you can say, where am I going wrong? If you're not affirming somebody, they're living defensively. And when somebody's living defensively, they will never say, what am I doing wrong? A defensive person doesn't say, what am I doing wrong? But a person who knows that my mom or dad or guardian or best friend or pastor or whoever it is over your life, when they know that you love them in their worst and they're affirmed in their worst, then they are free and safe to say, well, what can I change? But if they don't feel loved in the bad, they will live defensive and they will never say, what am I getting wrong? Anthony Bradley says this. All teenage sons need a long hug and to hear these six things from their fathers. I love you. I'm proud of you. I'm here for you. You're doing a great job. Thank you. Which is my favorite one on that list. Thank you. And God loves you. He's speaking specifically in a book to dads with teenagers. Every child from, zero, from, from 1 to 92, like the Christmas song says. <laughs> if you're 0, I'm sorry. If you're 93. <laughs> Every person who has a pulse needs to hear these six things from somebody who's over them. From somebody who's responsible for them. They ha it's more important than discipline, rebuke, or exhortation. You know why? Because discipline, rebuke, and exhortation, all things that have to happen, and I've already seen about six things Sophia's done today where there will be some rebuke, discipline, and exhortation upon getting home. But if affirmation doesn't come first, 
Rebuke will feel like abuse. Discipline will feel like abuse. And you'll say, but it's not. It's what's good for you. But they will feel it different. So you might be doing the right thing, but it won't hit right. Affirmation makes life safe for healing. And baptism is the atmosphere of affirmation. Baptism is God reminding us, you ready, that Jesus needed to be affirmed. There's other people in our older life that when they hear, when we hear affirmation, we don't know how to receive it. I don't know how to hear. Somebody just said, Pastor, you're the best. I don't know how to handle myself ever again when I get complimented. I feel like I don't know what to do with my body. Somebody's like, Pastor, that was a great sermon. And I'm just like, Thanks. Like, I don't know what to do with myself. Because we have this voice in us that says, if you accept that compliment, you're arrogant. You know whose voice that is? Satan's. I'm going to blow everybody's mind. You know what you say when you're complimented? You ready? Get your pens out. Thank you. You're right. (laughs) Not that. (laughs) Thank you. I mean, they are, but that's, you're not supposed to say that. Affirmation makes life safe for healing. Safe for what shall I do? Two, affirmation makes it safe for speaking truth to power and hearing truth as power. So, Okay. 2020 comes. We're all home. I'm preaching from home. And in the middle of it, all kinds of social justice things pop off, starting with George Floyd. Remember? And it was like, wow, I really, it's hard to be remote at a time when people need to hear a comforting word from their pastor. And now we have to say it all on the internet. And I don't know about you, but the internet was not a friendly place during this time. And so I, have to, I had to sit there. This is, this is a small portion of my, since I've become a pastor, testimony. I had to sit there and say, and it's because of faithful people who, who said this to me. I wake up, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to get all the way into this, so I'm going to leave this story wanting a little bit, but I just want to explain something. I came to the realization through dear, dear friends in this church Okay, so I wake up in a world that is much different for me as a white man who has a position of influence in the community. That's like three big boxes that I check off. I wake up, and I'm a man. I wake up, and I'm white. And I have a position that already comes with respect and honor in the community. And so I'm walking around in a world that is very, very easy for me to walk around in. And I just thought it was normal, that world, until people who don't wake up checking off any of those boxes... Say, no, 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 it's a much different world we wake up in. So I started to call people like Ron and Essie Green, Mark and Sheena Rumnett, had wonderful conversations with Desiree and Zoe, with Natasha. And it was a conversation of me listening and being told things. Jeff, me and you have had plenty of them. And being told things that my body doesn't want to hear but that I had to tell my body to shut up and listen to and receive and trust. And every one of those people during those conversations said, Pastor, it makes me feel good that I have a pastor who's willing to let me speak into their life like this. No, 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 no. Listen, 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 listen. This is not for that. This is for me to clap for you. So hold on. You ready? But listen to me. When I first started to open myself up to the fact that what good I have, some of it is from my hard work and some of it is just because life breaks in my direction a little easier than it does for others. And I know that's hard for some people to hear, but it's true. When those people and many others said that to me and affirmed me, it took all the defenses down And it made it easier for me to hear and receive things that were uncomfortable for me to hear and receive. 
And then what, and I, I prepared to say this, so it won't bring me to tears here, but what it really does bring me to tears is that people who were hurting were affirming me. And that spoke the gospel to me in the midst of a pandemic and social upheaval in a way that I may never feel the gospel preached to me again in my life. And it made it easy to be in a position of power and push that aside, offer it to others to make it easy for them to speak truth to power and to make it easy to have truth spoken to power. Affirmation destroys defensiveness. And when defensiveness is destroyed, love can happen easier. Healing and restoration can happen easier. Austin Channing Brown, in her book, I'm Still Here, which is a book, it's easy to read, it's short, it's quick, it is a beautiful pastoral book. Austin Channing Brown quotes Audre Lorde and says this, every woman has a well-stocked arsenal of anger, potentially useful against those oppressions, personal and institutional, which brought that anger into being. Focused with precision, anger, can become a powerful source of energy, serving progress and change. Anger expressed, this is the key line, anger expressed and translated into action in the service of our vision and our future is a liberating and strengthening act of clarification. So the question is, how does anger go from me wanting to throw this pulpit across the room to measured action? It's when somebody who has power and influence affirms you and listens to you. Anger can go from a tantrum to a mission in two seconds. Why is Jesus able to flip tables in the temple? And listen, there were tons of tables in the temple. He did not, we, we, we really need to read some commentaries. There's a lot of tables in the temple. There's altars, tables, different kinds of booths, kiosks everywhere. But he only flipped the ones with the money changers. He didn't just go in there <clears throat> flipping everything. He wasn't, he hadn't lost control of his temper. He was using his temper, not losing his temper. And he only did a couple of measured things. Why? Because Jesus could be angry and have his anger turn into mission because he was affirmed by the Father. And being affirmed by somebody who's got influence settles your spirit and you can gather yourself. You can feel like a person and you can offer what you have that they don't have, which was offered to me for years since that. Affirmation did that for me from people who didn't have to be affirming at all. But it made, it, it made me realize one of the best things I can do with the privilege I walk around with is use that privilege to make space for people who haven't been given that privilege. Who the world doesn't allow to have it as easily as it allows me to have it. Well, that's huge macrocosmic sentence, but mom and dad in home, if you're a parent in a home, you are walking around with power and influence. Don't just use it to talk to your children, but use it to lay it down and let your children talk to you. God forbid, influence you. God forbid, show you a better way of doing what it is you're supposed to be doing. It's Sophia that time saying, Dad, you told me to hurry up when I was talking to you and I didn't know my voice. That was her correcting me. Don't make me hurry up when I'm talking, Dad. I'm five, trying to figure out sentences. You do this for a living. Shut up for two seconds. <laughs> but in, in that moment, she, oh, I'm going to tell you more of my sin. You're ready? Confession time. Here we go. Forgive me, Salem, for I have sinned, okay? 
Theo won't sleep for the last three nights, and I turn into the devil. Like, the devil is scared of me when I'm getting no sleep from somebody crying specifically. And Sophia comes into the living room. Theo's crying. Sophia comes into the living room. This is last night, I think. Last night? I don't know what day it is anymore. I know it's Sunday because we're here. And she says, Dad, can you put on some of that music in my room that helps me fall asleep? And I was like, Sophia, go back to bed. I'm like, don't you hear your brother crying? Like, what, was she going to wake him up? What's wrong with me? And what she meant was, a few weeks ago, she came down into my office when I was working, and I was playing Christian instrumental hymns. And she sat on my couch, and she was listening to the piano play hymns, and she fell asleep. And I told her a story about how when I was young and I had anxiety, my dad played Hosanna Peace tapes at night, and it helped me fall asleep. So here's Theo crying. She's anxious because she can't sleep. And I was about to yell at her, but she was asking for Christian music to be played in her room. And the Holy Spirit kept me from being a jerk. Can I get one parent who can tell me how easy it is to be a jerk by accident? Thank you. So easy. But in that moment, it was like I had to stop in my tracks and I said, hold on. And she turned to walk. I said, Sophia, I'm sorry. I will put that on for you. I connected it to her little Bluetooth nightlight. And she was asleep in like three minutes with Theo being demonic. And it's like, they have to be able to influence us too. Your teenagers have to be able to influence you. Your grown children out of the house have to be able to still influence you too. Because there's nothing more motivating than when people see somebody with authority lay that down and say, can you please speak to me? That's a good usage of authority. You know, that's why Jesus told the disciples to take knives into the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, how many knives do you have? And they say two. And he says, that's enough. He told them to take their weapons into the garden so that he could tell them to put them down. Let that sit for a minute. He said, take them because I need to tell you to put them down. And if you don't have them, the world that's going to hear this in writing one day, 2,000 years later, won't be able to hear me say it. So take them. And then when you try to use them, I'm going to tell you to put them down. Because if you live by them, you'll die by them. You live by abuse, you'll die by abuse. You live by disciplining only, you'll die by getting disciplined only. Affirm and let yourself be spoken to. My life as a pastor changed because many of you, too many to name in this room, were helping me see things in a crisis moment that I could not see by myself, that I needed to see. And it wasn't just me talking into a microphone. It was people getting to talk to me. And finally, three, the last one, affirmation makes it safe for taking on others' burdens. James Cone, in a book called The Cross and the Lynching Tree, which, again, everybody should read, quotes Martin Luther King Jr. who said, if a man hasn't discovered something that he will die for, he isn't fit to live. It wasn't until relatively late in Martin Luther King Jr.'s life and ministry that he overcame his fear to die. And the I Have a Dream speech was a spontaneously wrought speech in his spirit after he had come to the realization that he was okay dying for the cause. Most of what we have come to know, quote, and love about him came after that epiphany, where he was no longer being measured and careful, but he was saying what needed to be said in the best way that he knew how. And this quote comes from that. You know why we trust what Jesus said? Because he died for it. You know why Dietrich Bonhoeffer is so popular? Because he died for it. Right? Like, we know 
Think of, think of an artist that you love. You'll, you'll listen to the artist sometimes. As soon as they pass away, their records hit for a little while, right? You will live a way too careful life if there's no affirmation in your life. But I remember when they said, hey, you're going to take over Salem Tabernacle. And I'm like, <laughs> now? <laughs> Basically, yes. And Pastor Mark said to me, there is nobody I know that is more qualified to do this than you. And it's the only reason I'm asking you. And something just happens to you when you hear that person in your life say it to you. A courage, a strength comes out of nowhere, and you know that you can do it. Imagine withholding that kind of affirmation. Imagine not offering it. Yesterday, and this is not the funny close, this is the actual close. Yesterday at the men's breakfast, we talked about two things, two, two sentences that define how our lives are lived. Your life is either lived by the phrase, it came to pass, or your life is lived by the phrase, let there be. Many of us are living a life defined by, it, it came to pass. What does that mean? That means that life Day is just rolling into day, which is just rolling into day, and I'm going to sleep, and I'm waking up, and I have the same issues and the same struggles, and I'm getting older, and the people around me, things are happening, and it's just going, 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 and then one day I'm not going to be here. I have the job I have because I happen to fall into it. I live in the place I live because I happen to fall into it. I have the people around me just because they're the people around me, and it's a life where you're just be taken, you're being taken by the current of life, and things are just coming to pass. It came to pass that Monday turned into Tuesday, that Tuesday turned into Wednesday. It came to pass. You're 40, now you're 41, now you're 65. It's just coming to pass. And then there's a life that is a life of let there be, where you're happening to your life and you're numbering your days that you might get a heart of wisdom and you're realizing that the older I get, the more wise I get and there's things I can do with that. And even though I'm in a dead-end job that I don't really like, I can still bring the Garden of Eden into that place every time I walk in because there's somebody there who needs encouragement. There's somebody there who needs affirmation. And if I'm at this job that nobody likes, then it is a privilege and an honor to go on the mission field every single day and be somebody different at that place than they're expecting to see here or talk to. That's a let there be life. I'm stuck. My boss is awful. This is probably what Ian says all the time. My boss is awful. It's terrible. But you sit there and if you let it come to pass, it'll just come to pass that every day will confirm all your negativity. But if there's a let there be, you'll say, you know what? I'm going to fast complaining this week and I want to see if people around me act differently. I'm going to face my fears. I'm not going to deny that they're there, which is a terrible thing to do. I'm going to take my fears with me when I go here or I go there. And I'm going to stand in the awareness that greater is he who is in me than he who is in my fears, than he who is in my insecurities, than he who is in my traumas. And I'm going to believe that God can say, let there be over any dead part of me and amazing things can happen probably through the most broken parts of who I am. Affirmation brings somebody from an it came to pass life to a let there be life. When you affirm somebody and you tell them that you're pleased with them and that they're doing an amazing job, that you love them, that you're proud of them, that you're here for them, that they're doing a great job, that you're thankful for them and that God loves them. Their life of hurt, heartache, boredom, whatever it is, meaninglessness, will begin to turn to a let there be life where they won't have to move out of those things for color and life and fruit to come, but it'll start to happen as the Bible says streams will break out in the, <laughs> the location doesn't have to change for blessing to come to where you are, Salem. You don't need a new job to get blessed on the job. You just need to realize that Jesus is sending living waters into the job you're going to that you don't like, and you can be better than the things you hate about that job every day you go there. Let's stand to our feet this morning.
we are starting a new ministry in this church. It's called Joy in Mourning, and it is more about the information that Ruth Wilson has been giving to Jacqueline and I. It's called Joy in Mourning, and it's a ministry to people who have been widowed in our church and in our church family. And so what we're looking for, and if you got a bulletin, you probably got this uh, added piece of paper in the bulletin that you have. And what this is, is we're looking for people who are willing to say, hey, I'm really good at budgeting. I'm able, I have time in my life to give people rides. I'm good at navigating technology like booking flights and helping somebody plan something. All, I'm a handyman. I'm able to mow lawns. I'm able to help cook. Like Whatever it is that you're good at, John, one of these days. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. John, I really, I'm well pleased with you. <laughs> I love you. Hold on. John, I love you. I'm proud of you. I'm here for you. You're doing a great job annoying me. Thank you. And I'm 98% sure God loves you. If you... And this is a command by God on many, many pages of Scripture that we take care of those who have been widowed among us. It's not a discussion. And God promises that our lives will be blessed for doing it because doing it is a blessing. Nobody claps for that because they want it to hear they'll get more money. But sometimes just honoring somebody who can't help themselves, that is the proof that your life is already blessed beyond what you could have asked or imagined. Thank you, Steph. Thank you for the affirmation. I need it. I appreciate it. Please sign up. If you're watching online, please sign up. We're not, we're not making anybody do this. We just want a pool of people who are willing to help out with different things. So if somebody calls the church and says, hey, I, I need to plan a trip to go see somebody, but I cannot stare at my computer screen anymore. I don't know how to do it. We can call somebody saying, hey, I'm willing to help somebody do X, Y, and Z. And I think between all the people in this room, we could cover just about anything somebody in that situation would need. Amen? All right. There should be hundreds of sign-ups then. This is fun. Uh, we're about to dump out our lost and found. There's Bibles in that thing, Salem. And I want to know who lost their Bible four weeks ago and still hasn't come to get it. Somebody's journal is in there. Who started writing their journal and hasn't needed to journal for the last two months? <laughs> There's a cell phone in there. We thought it might have been Madeline's for that, from that time, but it wasn't. Just if you lost something, if you're saying right now, that's why I haven't read my Bible since 2019, we're not going to throw out the Bibles, but we're going to hide them. And we're not going through anybody's journal. We're going to toss it. So go find it. I don't want to see anybody's journal. You want to know, you want to know how I see everybody's journal anyway? Instagram. <laughs> house blessings. <laughs> Sign up to have me come to your house and bless it. It's a lot of fun. It goes quick. I won't be there for a long time. You don't even have to make me anything to eat. I will come to your house. I will judge it. No, I'm just kidding. I'll come to your house. I'll bless it, and I'll leave. If you're an adult and you haven't been baptized, you can sign up for baptism. At the end of December, we're going to have more information to come about our children. But if you're an adult and you haven't been baptized, we want to know if that's you, and we want to be able to bless you and baptize you. And for all the men in the room, we have a gift for you when you leave here today. We have cookies from Cake My Day. Carrie made them all. And I bet you the ladies will be better at not stealing our gifts than we were at stealing theirs. You know, what I'm, you know how many men I saw walk out with donuts? 
my God, the patriarchy's real. We're just taking stuff that doesn't belong to us. Okay. Those are the announcements. Do them all. Let's close our eyes. Father God, as we get ready to leave your house, I thank you that you offer us this meal. We get a chance to come and sit in your presence. And I pray that this meal today would feel in our body like you're affirming love, piercing through whatever smog of chaos and distraction that we're going through. I pray that this meal would pierce through that like your voice pierced through the sky when Jesus was baptized and that we would hear your love for us and that we would leave here motivated and filled to reflect your affirming love to the world around us, starting with the people in our own homes. And so, Lord Jesus, we know that we were affirmed where on the night that we betrayed you, you affirmed us by saying, this is my body broken for you and my blood spilled for you because even though your body is breaking mine, your body is worth my body being broken for. What affirmation you bestowed on our life that at our worst, you gave us your life. And you carried our worst and brought it before the Father and healed it in his presence. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you descend on this bread and make it for your people the body and blood of Jesus, the food and drink of new and unending life in him, and descend on us also that we might feel your affirmation, be forgiven of our sins, and leave here tearing down the walls, the defensive walls of Jericho that exist in our home and in our networks through loving affirmation. May we look at people and tell them who they are, begotten and loved of the Father. Salem, if somebody in your life is living terribly, you still need to affirm them. But the way to do it is to remind them that this isn't who you are. When we get mad at people's behavior, we tend to say, look at what you've become. That's what comes easiest. Look what you've become. Look what you've done. But if we take a moment to remember our baptism, we can look at people who are even in the thralls of sin and say, I know you, you're so much more than this. This isn't who you are. Let there be over your life. You don't have to think that affirmation will feel like you're condoning their behavior. You don't have to feel like that. It's the number one temptation of all Christians is to think if we affirm somebody who's doing something wrong, spoiler alert, everybody is, but we think that if we affirm somebody who's doing something wrong, they'll think, you're condoning my whole life. No, they will be surprised that you're willing to love them anyway. And that surprise will change their life forever. If you're on this side of the room, Elder George will be here. If you're on this side of the room, Elder Ron will be here. Come and receive the affirmation of the Father this morning. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle Podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.